Welcome into the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your owner and host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be discussing the Super Bowl, or at least a recap of the conference championship games plus the Super Bowl preview. We'll also touch on a little bit of the NBA. And as always, that will include Jack's hot take. Now, you can follow us on at JTimeSports. I repeat, at JTimeSports on all of your favorite social medias. And also, you may follow us, um, this podcast itself, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as always, don't forget to sit back and get ready to learn something. to be with you guys. I am recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. You're here Thursday morning. Um, I am here on the audio show. So I spoke about last week. Uh, we're going to be trying to do two shows a week with you guys. Um, definitely have a video show every week or two. And of course we have the weekly uh, audio show. So the video show is up. And the link is in the last episode description. I'll put it in the new episode description of course. Um, but that is the link to the uh, video show on YouTube. So definitely you guys subscribe, like, comment, share, rate on that. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe and share uh, the podcast, the audio show on iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcast. And of course, Just In Time Sports YouTube uh, will be with the audio for this. And we're working on trying to get the videos as well. On the Justin Time Sports YouTube, so that way it's sort of like how Club Shay Shay, you can get it through multiple feeds, or Uncle Ocho, you can get it through multiple feeds. Um, that would be the goal is to try and get the video show on Justin Time Sports YouTube, so that way you guys don't have to necessarily look through another source. Although it's a great source, it is uh, a better source to have it on Justin Time Sports YouTube. Just a little housekeeping business. Uh, for those of you who care, for those of you who don't, let's get right into the show. Um, the the Super Bowl is set. For those of you who don't know, it is the Kansas City Chiefs for the fourth time in six years up against the San Francisco 49ers, who's their second trip in four years. Ironically, they played the Chiefs the last time they were there. Uh, similar circumstances, honestly, from both teams. Um, but let's jump right into the AFC title game, which these title games went about as expected. Uh, the AFC game was supposed to be a slugfest because it was two high-powered defenses, which is not something you would think in a game where the quarterbacks are Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. You would think offensive explosions, but the Ravens won the defensive triple crown. Uh, they had the fewest points per game, the most sacks, and the most takeaways. And the Chiefs defense, I think, was ranked third all year. Um, so you had two of the top three defenses, two of the top five defenses undisputed in the league going up against each other. Now, again, there's two Hall of Fame quarterbacks who are in this game, too. Patrick Mahomes, a no-doubt first ballot Hall of Famer. Lamar Jackson on his route to his second MVP, potentially unanimous, definitely his second MVP. No, no player in the history of the sport that has been eligible for the Hall of Fame has two MVPs and has not made it. So Lamar Jackson's a sure-fire Hall of Famer. Patrick Mahomes is a sure ballot, a sure 
first ballot, no doubt Hall of Famer. He'll probably, I mean, he's, he's already in the smaller room in the back. You know, there was like, there's a, there's a Hall of Fame, and then there's an elite group. Pat's in that elite group already, and he's not even 30 yet. Because if he wins a Super Bowl, that's three Super Bowls before the age of 30. He's got all the stats in the world. Um, he has the MVPs. Like, he'll, he'll be in that little room in the back because his resume, besides counting numbers, will be better than Peyton Manning's, right? And so he's in there with Barry Sanders. He's in there with Jim Brown. He's in there with Tom Brady. He's, I mean, Tom Brady might be in his own little other room through Jerry Rice and the Goats. But, you know, he's, he's, he's in that room. Um, breaking news into the show, actually, uh, Joel Embiid is out again. Um, he'll miss the game against the Utah Jazz. He's expected to get... Hold on one second, getting more information as I say this. He's ready to get further evaluation on his left knee in the next 24 hours. Um, so Embiid is becoming dangerously close to being ineligible for postseason awards, uh, which would be a tragedy um, because he's playing so well and he's doing stuff we haven't seen done in so long, right? And to have him miss... Uh, dudes, if you ever missed the awards to do the injury, would suck, but I like the rule, right? And we're going to dive into a little more about the rule when we get into the NBA segment, but back to the A's title game. So, again, there's two, in my opinion, first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Famers, a quarterback, and yet the defense is dominated today. Um, and it was finally going to be 17 to 10. Uh, to me, Baltimore could have very easily won the game 20 to 17, 24 to 17. They left a lot on the field. Um, but a lot of what people are talking about today is over the past few days, I've noticed about Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. To me, the guy was Travis Kelsey. Patrick Mahomes had a good game. Right? No, no doubt about that. He made the plays when he had to make them, and they were almost exclusively to 87. Um, Travis Kelsey put on this game Why wow, he's one of the best of all time um, He's in that very small room with tight ends I think it's him, Gronk, Tony Gonzalez And then everybody else is outside the room knocking uh, it, He's just He's unguardable right? And it kind of reminds you of when Prime Gronk Was unguardable And Gronk was, un- Gronk was unguardable to the day he retired But Where it's third and eight And everybody in the building know it's going to 87 And it doesn't matter Right, and Patrick Mahomes has some amazing escape plays in this game. Uh, the wizardry Lamar Jackson was doing was out insane. Um, it should have been rewarded more by his teammates, but you know, Mahomes came out to start the game thirteen to thirteen or eleven to eleven, something like that. Like thirteen of his first fourteen were completed passes. Um, and so, whenever you get someone like that on a roll early. Kind of made the defense change their game plans. Now they still were able to fight through and only held and they held the Chiefs to 17 points on the game. But when it came down to it, third and seven, it's 87. Third and nine, it's 87. Second and ten, it's 87. Um, and actually, in uh, Travis Kelsey finished with 11 catches for a buck 16 and a touchdown. I think Mahomes only completed 20 passes. Or twenty something passes. So a majority of Mahomes' passes went to Travis Kelsey. Um, and so you know he hit Rasheed Wright with one. MVS uh, Marcus Valdez Scantling caught the dagger throw over the top in the middle. But a majority of the stuff went to Travis Kelsey. So we're getting a lot of credit to Mahomes, rightfully so. He's in his fourth Super Bowl appearance and six years as a starter. Um, he's in the Super Bowl 
almost as likely as he is to complete a pass. Um, that's an outrageous statistic. Um, Shaq has a lower dunk percentage than Patrick Mahomes has of being in the Super Bowl. Again, outrageous numbers. But we're not going to sit here and just pretend like that you know that core and that help wasn't doing what it was doing. Pacheco got the yards when he needed it. Kelsey was unguardable. The defense held the future MVP down to 10 points. Um, and Mahomes, but Mahomes, they were able to neutralize, and Mahomes, Andy Reid, and company were able to neutralize to an extent the Ravens' pass rush. Um, the Ravens' pass rush overwhelmed the Texans. Uh, they kept trying to do long field throws because the Ravens' secondary can be had if you have the time to do it. But they're able to protect their secondary because their front, their pass rush is so relentless, um, and they're able to do so with four. So they're able to keep seven back and really protect themselves, right? The Chiefs began to do a lot of quick throws, a lot of screens, a lot of drags, a lot of stuff where it's not in the secondary's purview. They still have to guard it, but now you're dealing with that pass rush taking three fast steps trying to bend around the edge, and they're turning them around because the screen's gone. Or they're two, two good, good steps, drag route. You know, three or four good steps, you know, slant route. They were doing a lot of stuff where... It was immediate reach from Mahomes. He, there was no thinking. It was just catch the ball, hit the slant. Catch the ball, hit the screen. Catch the ball, hit the drag. Catch the ball, hit the slant. Catch the ball, hit the out route. Oh, give him a little shimmy, hit the in route. You know what I'm saying? Like It was just over and over and over again for Mahomes in order to pick apart um, that Ravens secondary because they were able to have them early. Now, the pass rush did get there at a certain point, um, but by that point, you kind of looked at the other side and realized they weren't doing anything. Um, and speaking about the other side not doing anything, Lamar Jackson, um, another playoff dud. Just gonna be honest, and I'm not, I'm not an anti-Lamar guy. I'm not right, but it's another game in the playoffs where he played completely out of his character. Lamar Jackson's the most single dangerous person with the football in his hands in the NFL. I'm, I'm more than Patrick, more than Burrow, more than Josh. More than who else? You mean who do you want to name? Derrick Henry, right? He's the single most dangerous person in the league with the football in his hands. Why? Because he's the most electric runner in the NFL, and he's a top six or seven passer. He's I mean he's led the league in passing yards. I'm not gonna sit here and call him a running back. Like he he's led the league in passing yards before his career. Um, but he's the single most dangerous person with the ball in his hands, especially before the route breaks down, because now the receivers are running their routes, so you have to respect him as a passer, and at any given moment you lose contain, he can beat you, he can hit you for 60, right, and so that level of dangerousness to a defensive coordinator is very, very key, but it wasn't enough for eight, um, he finished the game 20 of 37, 272, one touchdown, one interception. Sounds a lot like his other playoff games, right around 50% completion percentage, even touchdown to pick ratio if he's not in the negative, 250-ish yards. I mean, that's pretty much Lamar Jackson's playoff career in a nutshell. He had an outlier against Houston, right? Um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember Lamar Jackson having less touchdown pass in a playoff game than Derrick Henry. I'm old enough to remember against the Chargers when he got booed and the fans chanted, we want Flacco. I'm old, like I said, I'm old enough to remember duds. I mean, just absolute duds of playoff performances. Uh, he's still under 500 in the playoffs. He's an incredible talent, right? I, I don't want people to think I'm disparaging his talent. I'm not. He is a very, 
very, very talented player. His ability on the field is unique in the sense of there is no one on this planet that can do what he can do. There there isn't anyone. I mean, there may be guys with stronger arms. There may be guys, there may be faster guys. There may be shiftier guys. None of them can do what he does as a a total football player. It's not possible, right? Um, And so when you have that level of ability, we expect a lot of you, especially in the big moment. He doesn't get much bigger in the NFL than the playoffs. And that was another game where Lamar Jackson was a dud in the playoffs, right? An absolute dud. He had magical moments, right? He had moments where he escaped the pocket. And I posted a couple of them on Justin Time Sports. He escapes the pocket, dances around, people ducks under tackles and finds a flowers. He did another one where it didn't really go for a big completion, but it avoided a big sack. He's ducking and dodging uh, people all around everywhere. You know, I'm watching the game saying, oh, they got him. Like, he's just a DN screaming from his backside, oh, they got him. He ducks, the DN flies over his head, and next thing you know, he's scrambling outside the pocket, and 12 yards later, first down. And I'm sitting here like, how? Like, how are you possibly getting away uh, from these clean blitzers, or these clean rushers? Um, but that's the kind of level of talent he has, and he, it just it just wasn't enough in the in the passing game, I think that they should have taken more advantage of his legs. I think he should have taken more advantage of his legs. There was a lot of parts of the game. I'm yelling at him, get out of there, get out of there, get out of there, because you're patting the ball for four or five seconds. You're not putting any trust on the defense because the defense isn't keeping an eye on you running and you're the receiver breaking off the route. They're just watching the receiver break off the route because you're putting no pressure on them at all in terms of you might run. Uh, the uh, Todd Munkin, who's been lauded all season for his play calling, uh, kind of reverted to Lamar Savas' ball in the sense of he only ran the ball, I believe, six times with running backs, um, which is abhorrently low considering they were often in the teens or the 20s in terms of running back carries, and Lamar would get his. Um, just a rough day at the office for Todd Munkin. Um, he was the source of a lot of ire of a lot of Baltimore fans. But the person who they should be mad at is Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers cost his team that game. Point blank period. He had a unsportsmanlike penalty. He had some other issues happening. You know, he got talked out of the game by a couple of the Chiefs guys. Um, he had the fumble on the one that literally ties the game. I mean, this guy was kind of a wreck for a vast majority of the football game, right? And... Zay Flowers is a good player. He's a guy that Baltimore leaned on a lot this year. I think the moment got too big for him. I think the attention got too big for him. I think the lights and the flash and the glitz and the glamour got a little too big for him. And it got into his head, right? And tried to make him do things that are fairly uncharacteristic of him as a football player. Um, they don't know what he's like as a man, but as a football player, that seems to be pretty uncharacteristic of him um, to get repeatedly penalized or to make costly mistakes. Um, but Zay Flowers, the record took seven off the board. I think he's involved in another seven. Um, but he, uh, again, directly took seven points off the board, man. Just you can't have that happen in that spot. And, you know, you get a big catch and you're first and eight. And now you're, you know, first and ten from the 23 because he got a taunting penalty. And, you know what I'm saying? It's stuff. And then on the same job, you fumble at the one. It's just stuff like that that can't happen on a really, really good team. Um and that's what Baltimore is, even though they just lost their defensive coordinator um, to the Washington Commanders.
I'm sorry. Yes, the Washington Commanders. Wait, no, 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 no. Mike McDonald's going to the Seattle Seahawks. The Commanders are the only job available. My apologies. The Commanders are the only job left available. That's why their name was in my head. Uh, but Mac, Mike McDonald is headed to the Seattle Seahawks. Their new head coach. Uh, he's from uh, the. Um, oh my goodness, Baltimore Ravens is their defensive coordinator, uh, leader of the Triple Crown winning defense. And now we're going to shift to the NFC title and talk about that game, that barn burner, that comeback, that moment, that tale of two purdies, um, that show. Man, legends were out. Like, legends were out for Casey and Detroit. I mean, Eminem's there. Oh, Barry Sanders shows up. I mean, Eminem's there. Oh, this is, I'm talking about the, I'm thinking about the Niners in the Detroit. Um, not a whole, they didn't, I mean, a lot of former Ravens players came back. Terrell Suggs and Ray Lewis. Ironically, Terrell Suggs' last game in the NFL, he's winning the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. Um, so that was, you know, one of those moments. Ray Lewis, last game in the NFL, he's winning the Super Bowl as a member of the, Niners, as a member of the Ravens. Um, so that's, you know, that was cool moments for them. But back to the San Fran in Detroit, the legends were out, man. Like, Barry Sanders is there. Eminem is there. Uh, Joe Montana, <laughs> if you give who watch Waterboy, Joe Montana's there. Um, you know, the legends were out in full effect, and it looked like Detroit was going to make history early. They were physically dominating this game. They were making a coach like Dan Campbell Really, 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 really happy. They were physically bullying the Niners early. Uh, Drake Greenlaw is throwing helmets all over the place. Like They were physically assaulting the Lions early, right? Uh, the, uh, the Niners early, right? Um, first series of the game, they hit with a trick play. They hit with a trick play. Jamison Williams on a reverse touchdown. Then uh, they get it right back, basically, and the Niners go three and out or something and out, very short and out. And boom, they power down the field. Jameer Gibbs hits some touchdown. And it's like 14-0. It's a, you can hear a pin drop in the new candlestick, a.k.a. Levi Stadium. Um, it's just, I mean, Detroit, the, the stadium itself looks like uh, the game is being played there. Fans are jumping up and down, cheering, going crazy. The energy on Detroit sideline is through the roof. San Fran looks like it's a panic. I mean, it's just you know, everything that could go wrong for San Fran Felt like it went wrong. I mean, besides an injury, that was the only thing that could have made it worse, right? It's just there was pure panic um, in Detroit. I mean, it was pure panic in San Fran. So the Niners come back, get their shit together. Um, three minutes, four minutes later, five minutes later. Sorry, I can't do math. Five minutes later. They're in the end zone. Christian McCaffrey touchdown. Then the Lions put together a drive, and they go down. Jameer Gibbs hits him again. So David Montgomery hits you the first time. Jameer Gibbs does that. He pulls on daytime sports as well. He's going through the outside. It's like he's walking through the Niners defense. I mean, he's just throwing guys off. He gets a little cut angle, and he walks in touchdown. Then the Niners, Kyle Shannon had a clock moment, but the Niners kind of pack it in. No, that's the interception. It's the interception when that happens. Um, what's his name? Malcolm Rodriguez. He's he's Rodrigo. If you remember the Lions' hard knocks, they called him Rodrigo uh, all through the building. And Rodrigo, who wasn't supposed to even be playing, gets an interception off of Purdy. 
Um, and that is why they end up, he gets an interception off Purdy. Lions go down the field. They had an opportunity at the end zone. I didn't like some of the play call selection that they did. They end up running it on third down. Uh, it was it was odd. It was an odd play call selection at the bottom. Maybe they get a touchdown. The, the Niners don't come back. Butterfly effect. Who knows? Uh, but they, anyway, they get a field goal 24-7. And, again, the Lions are bouncing. They have all the energy in the world. Um, the Niners, historically, were famously bad in the Kyle Shanahan era, coming back on people. And it looked like one of those games, they're not going to come back, right? They're, they're getting physically dominated. Um, they look mentally just like, what is happening to us? Uh, again, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner are pissed. You have the Lions, you know, going crazy. Eminem is flipping people off in the crowd. Like, Barry Sanders is almost jumping up and down. Like, this, it was one of those moments where it's like, man, you, this is dangerously close to getting out of hand. Um... But I never felt like it was over, right? I never felt like at any point the Lions were going to just boom, boom, boom. You know, it's over. My mom texted me about the game. Like I said, Niners are going to roll. She's texting me about the game and how that's wrong and, you know, whatever. And it's just, and I just, you know, part of it was like, just stay patient. I've seen this. I've seen, I've seen this Niners team is too good, right? And I've been talking about the Niners all season. Uh, you can go back and look at the call logs. You can go back and look at the episodes of the show. I've been on the Niners all season. So if they're healthy, no one's beating them. Um, and second half starts, and it's field goal Niners. Okay. Okay. Something. Then they get a fumble because they score right back. No. Then the Lions go three and out. The Niners make a drive. Touchdown. It's 24-17. Then they come right back, get a fumble. I mean, I maybe got my drives, maybe my, my Lions drives mixed up. Then they come down, get a fumble, touchdown Niners. It's 24-24, entering the fourth quarter. And so the Lions, the Lions had this big 17-point lead, and they're 30 minutes from the Super Bowl, and the whole city's excited, and everybody's jumping up and down, and Ford Field is nuts, and Eminem's putting people off, and Barry Sanders is almost jumping on that bad hip of his, and Calvin Johnson's going to be in Vegas with the team, and it's just in 15, actually, in 12 minutes, and 11 minutes and 58 seconds of game time, all gone every single drop of it all the bluster all the happiness all the jumping up and down all the confidence from everybody outside the building is gone in 11 minutes and 58 seconds the best team in the league showed up the Niners I mean they said what the halftime speech was play like you know how to play play like we know how to play you know how good a team has to be for that to be the halftime speech down 24 to 7, yeah, we playing like dog crap. Play how we know how to play. And in 11 minutes and 58 seconds, they were tied. Um, so you go into the fourth quarter, still meantime. Uh, the Lions begin to bow their backs a little bit on defense, but the Niners' defense at this point is as locked in as locked in can be. Field goal uh, Niners with about 9.52 left. Um, Lions, again, don't do much of anything. There's some questionable fourth down go fours in here. Uh, sprinkling in here, I don't have that right in front of me. And then the Niners score again. 
the effective dagger with Eliza Mitchell at 302 left. And then Jamison Williams catches a touchdown pass on a beautiful route combination. On a beautiful route, rather, um, he catches a touchdown pass with about 58 seconds left. The onside kick was unsuccessful. Nine inch of two ball. Um, and so that was the box score rundown, pretty much. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff to peel back. So, for instance, for me, it was the tale of two parties. In the first half, I posted in a Facebook group of man, has anyone seen Brock Purdy? He looked awful. He looked like Mr. Irrelevant. He looked like a guy I was going to have so much fun with on the audio show and the video and, and the video and the visual show and the TV show, the YouTube show. Um, slandering, basically, and telling you, I told you so. And questioning whether he's going to be the starter and all the, the, I mean, I was prepared, right? Like, I was, I was, I was starting, it was going to be a rough day for Niners fans. And then he turned it around in the second half. And then the guy in the second half looked like, he looked like a guy that is ready to go. He looked like a guy that was a guy who can lead his team to the Super Bowl. A guy that can be the Super Bowl MVP. A guy that many had as their dark horse MVP most of the season. He looked like that guy, right? Um, and he played that way. Great second half by him. I wish, you know, his numbers were divided, you know, more at places in terms of that second half. He played a great second half. He had some huge runs. He took some shots. He got up celebrating. Like, it was a big moment in the Brock career of Brock Purdy, securing himself as the guy in San Francisco. Um, but humongous uh, second half from Purdy. I got to give credit where credit is due. I was ready to slander him for his first half. I got to give credit for his second half. A oh, great job, Brock Purdy. Uh, but then we talked about those Dan Campbell questionable decisions. So Dan Campbell very easily, two times in field goal range, passed up on threes. And he went for touchdowns. He was over two. So, so we were like, oh, man, that's a 14-point swing. It's not. It's a six-point swing. Because you took, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a six-point swing. Because you pretty much had the field goals. I mean, one was a chip shot beyond chip shots, and the other one was very makeable. You got to make them both. It's 37-34 if nothing else changes, right? And even if he butterfly affected in that last drive, they're playing a little harder. So now, you know, instead of being down 10, you're down 7. Maybe you don't get Jamison Williams with the silent like you did. Maybe you don't get Jamison Williams across the middle like you did. They said butterfly effect. But if nothing else changes, you win the game 37-34. Um, but uh, one thing I will not do, and I, and I am a coach, so maybe I'm, I'm leaning into protection mode. One thing I would not do is slander a coach for playing the way he played all season in the playoffs. I'm not going to do that. That was one of my big complaints to Brandon Staley. As awful as he was on a day-to-day basis, what made him so good as a Chargers head coach is the balls he had. Fourth down and five or shorter, you might as well be second down. Staley's going. Um, and that... You know, he had a, kind like Dan Campbell, he had a rough game doing it. They were like, oh, for something on fourth down. Um, you know, it was a rough game doing it. And I think it scarred him. I think he was like, okay, I'm not going to do that again as a head guy. And, you know, Campbell was able to attempt to put touchdowns on the board. If one of those field goals becomes a touchdown, we're not having this conversation right now. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's a conversation to be had because of the failure of the of the execution. However, again, I would never disparage a coach from coaching the way he did all regular season. 
If you're a conservative guy, don't stop pulling out trick plays and double passes and uh, trying to, you know, trick us and play a different brand. But if you're a guy who's a smash mouth guy, you're going to come downhill. You don't really care about the glitz and glamour. You just want to punch people in the face. Play that way. You know, if you're a gambler, play that way. Don't get into the playoffs and alter your character because it makes it hard for your team to respond and it makes it hard for you to respond as well because you're just literally not used um, to playing that way. If, you, if you're going to treat third down like second down or fourth down like third down all year, you've got to treat it that way in the regular in the playoffs as well. So I'll never disparage a coach for playing the way he has played all regular season, especially with a guy like um, – Oh, man, can I get a guy's name? Especially with a guy like Detroit Lions head coach because – oh, Dan Campbell, I'm sorry. Especially with a guy like Dan Campbell, um, you have to be uh, ready to go at all times. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I appreciate Dan Campbell's thing to where he was naturally aggressive as he was all season. Um, so, kudos to Dan Campbell. But the good news is if you're a Lions fan, your window's wide open. I think the Ravens' window shut. The personnel department got robbed. The DC is gone. The the OC wet the bed in a big moment. Um, I didn't think Baltimore Ravens might be shut. If it ain't shut, it's barely cracked open. I think Detroit's wide open. Uh, a lot of guys on contracts are already on the team control. They have some key guys to get back, but I think they're able to do so. Um, so I think they have a pretty wide open window. Um, but we're going to have a quick recap. I mean, a quick preview. Quick, 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 quick preview about the Super Bowl. Um, it, right now, the line is that uh, San Fran minus two. We'll probably we'll have a video show either this week or next week before the Super Bowl, so that way you guys can see uh, and hear my full thoughts on the game. Um, but right now, San Fran minus two um, versus KC. KC is on the red jersey. San Fran's on the white. Uh, Super Bowl prop uh, teams in the last 19 Super Bowls to wear white, 16 and three. Um, and I'm going to keep that trend going. Make it 17 and three. Uh, the Niners win 27 to 24. Uh, that's again, it's about quick right now. I'm going to go into some deep dives and some deep discussions or deep thinking, um, and I'll get you guys an official JTS pick uh, sometime next week, probably next Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, once teams land and get their feet wet on the practice ground and things change, right? So uh, I will definitely keep you guys updated on that. But that is all I have for the NBA, or the NFL rather today. Apparently my brain really wants to get to the NBA. So I'm going to shift to Jack's hot take, which is going to be, please, shut up, Draymond. Welcome back into the show, and now we are going to talk about the NBA's rule for 65 games, and this rule was in place because a lot of people, especially in the higher-ups, were complaining about guys playing 55 out of 82 games and winning a bunch of awards. I think the old mental... Like, the unofficial cutoff was 50. So, guys would play 52 games, miss 30 games, 
and be first team all NBA. Be in the MVP discussion. Potentially win the MVP. Be all NBA. Be an all star. Be whatever, whatever, whatever. And not play a third of the season. So when the rule was in place, that you have to play at least 65 games in order to be eligible for these awards, I said, okay, I'm good with it. Because most of the stars, most of the time, are playing 65 games anyway. Um, but the built-in rest, couple couple of tweaks, you probably play about 65 games anyway. So maybe you push, or you cancel a couple of those rest games, push through a tweak, and get to 65 so you can be your awards and you want your money. Go for it, right? But you got guys 23 with no injury history, low managing. What? In the hell is that? You got guys who are 22 with a sprained ankle, no back-to-backs for two months. Like, what is that, right? And so now these guys, especially those guys trying to get these super max contracts, you're going to have to qualify for some all-NBA teams, you know, and they win awards in order to get the kickers on these contracts. You're going to have to play these games, right? Now, if you're an established vet, you have your max, your max in contingent on incentives or awards. Rude don't matter to you. Oh, well, I can't be, can't be MVP. Oh, well. You know, like, it's, it's one of those situations. But Draymond Green, on his podcast, Draymond Green Show, um, was talking about the rule. And he was saying that it's bad rule, essentially because you have faces of the league and stars trying to play through injuries. To play 65 games. So they can be eligible for awards. Yep. That's the purpose of the rule. It is designed so Joel Embiid can't win the MVP and play 55 games. Because guess what? That means 27 games he didn't play. And his team was a two seed. So how valuable is he? This is to prevent guys like Ben Simmons. Uh, I'm going to use Ben Simmons as an example. Play sparingly in the first half of the season, really get it hot in the second half of the season, and slide in all defense team. Like, no. If you want to be in all something, you're going to have to play in 65 of 82 of the games. You can literally miss every single back to back and still have games left over. Everybody only has, um, I think, two or three back to backs now. It used to be like 12, but you know what I'm saying? They fix, kind of fixed the back-to-back schedule. Asking you to play, asking you to show up to work 80% of the time is not a problem. If you're too injured to play, then you don't deserve the postseason awards because those awards are the guys who've been consistently on the court all year. I've never seen one MVP earned on the training table. I've never seen one, one first-team all-NBA aimed at a snack bar. I've never seen one single first-team all-anything all-star, all-big, whatever, all-rookie for my young guys. I've never seen one of those given to a training table, to a medical staffer, or one of those given to a guy who missed the season. So so the fact that we're looking um, into and have looked into a number that gets you 80% of the games that you have to play, that is a travesty for Draymond to try and fight back on that scenario. But that is all I have for today. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.